Hey everyone, welcome to episode 99 of 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff. It is Andy and Randy again this week as Jeff is off, but fear not, even though he will not be back for oh, a couple of months, a little sneak peek into next week yeah. before we get to the end is that we will have three young people from our congregation here next week. They will actually be preaching the fourth and final installment of the Love Series so we will have five people sitting around our little table next week. Cozy. So just in case you don't make it to the end, that's something we wanted you to know right off the bat. But as we just mentioned, love is in the air again this week as we continue on in our love series. And last week, I think we ruffled a few feathers online, in-house, and I'm guessing among some friends and family. Between too much love and a, satir a satirical video for the Adventist Alexa slash Ellen, <laughs> it was a busy week here on social media. So if you haven't uh, looked lately, go to hospital, go to facebook.com slash hospital church and check out what all the hubbub has been about. And we had our service run for the first time on Facebook Live. This that's last right. Week. I did yeah. notice that. I, yeah. I was going to, I didn't even think to mention that, but that's right. It was, and there was like 400 viewers. Yeah, it was a lot of people. Amazing. Yeah. That was good. Last week, we went through, we were in week two of this series, and we basically decided that now we can recognize that anyone who loves is born of God, born again. And we are empowered to go from here to be a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. And in that very serving, we are loving them into a lifelong friendship with God. The message and the accompanying podcast, episode 98, you can watch or listen to both, <coughs> as previously mentioned right in the Hospital Church mobile app. We mention that every week, or you can do it at the website, hospitalchurch.org. All right, this week we were loving the opposition. Oh, my goodness. Loving the opposition. <laughs> I, I don't know. I What about this seems so unnatural? I was, I just, I was talking to somebody at the church and said, you know, actually, once you, once you sort of nail this down, everything else in Christendom gets easy. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably not that's probably not too far off the truth. It's funny because in the in the opening paragraph about or the summation of the message and it's it said it may seem almost natural to love our own team. And okay, yeah, mm -hmm. I can see that. It's no big challenge to be devoted to the people who are on our side, our party, our school, our church, our neighborhood. But the call of Christ is to bless the opposition. And this means not restricting our love to those we define as lovable, uh-oh, but to really be followers of Christ and practice no revenge and love to everyone. <laughs> oh, man. Jesus was so good at this that the religious leaders intending to insult him gave him the greatest compliment of his divinity, friend of sinners. Mm -hmm. And that last line, the greatest compliment of his divinity was friend of sinners. And I'm thinking, how much of a higher moniker could someone give to us as a local church right. than to say, ah, those guys at Florida Hospital Church, friend of sinners. Yeah, that would be a wonderful moniker to get, wouldn't it? <laughs> and it seems as though this may be the best time in history to really strive yeah. for that moniker because <laughs> of everything that's happening in the world and with the rise and continuation of social media. Andy, you said maybe at no other juncture of life in scripture is there any higher calling, any more significant challenge, any more obvious distinction of the countercultural call of Christ than the verses of Matthew five forty three through forty eight. If you went and watched the message, you you would have seen Stephanie and Craig uh, go through this little skit beforehand, lending to the notion that these verses should be taken seriously. 
not just merely as satirical mm-hmm. or maybe a good idea. <laughs> what about these texts lend themselves to people thinking, ah, this isn't like this isn't what he really means. <laughs> well, the, the standard is pretty high, and it's sort of, <laughs> and, it, yes. and it's very, and it is very countercultural. I think part of the challenge is that we oftentimes get mixed up on what it means to love someone. Um, mm. So when we think about loving our enemies, we think we got to have these warm, fuzzy feelings and have them over, and that may not be the case. Where if we can just sort of think about loving as we have a readiness to serve them, and we seek God's best for them. Okay, uh, that doesn't mean I have to. I'm not going to feel the same to some people that I'm going to feel to my family. Right. And so people think, well, you don't really love them. You don't have that feeling of love. But it's not It's not a feeling of love. It's actually a, a stance of love. I'm going to be patient with them. I'm going to be kind to them. I'm not going to be rude. I'm not going to keep record of wrongs they do to me. I'm going to be continually wanting their best good and for God to have his transforming work in their lives. I like that. Yeah. I, I mean, I hadn't thought about what in that exact frame – because essentially there's no possible way right. that we could love them like our family because we don't even love them as well as Jesus loves our family, <laughs> right? right. Um, he loves them more than we do. <laughs> and so there's absolutely no way that we're going to love our enemies even as much as our family. But we're, if we're taking the right approach to say, I'm also not going to disadvantage you in any way. I'm going to be for you, not right. against you, and I'm going to – appeal to my God, who I believe can do anything for you. Right. I think that whole phrase you just used, Randy, about being for you and not against you is really a really good common denominator for, for what it means to love that person, to really be for them, want their best good. I just, I just been watching a documentary on Mr. Rogers and it's been fascinating, oh, to, listen, advertised. Been fascinating to listen to people talk about their relationship with him, how he always was proud of them, always cared about them. When he was with them, it was just it was just them and him in the world. You know, he really gave them their his attention. Little ways that he showed love to people in a very concrete, uh, personable, engaged way. And we don't necessarily think about that as being love. But psychologists tell us you can't tell the difference emotionally or psychologically between being loved and being listened to. Really? Yeah. That's wow. why. That's why preachers like it just feels so good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, and I just read an article about the gentleman that was the police officer on the show, uh, Mister Rogers' Neighborhood, okay. and he had talked about how he didn't even want to be friends, and he wasn't sure. In fact, he was pretty sure that he didn't even want to be on the show, and he's like much less as a police officer. And the fact that like over time, consistent, it's you and me. He listened. He talked to me. He treated me with respect. Super respect, yeah. In the early days, they Mm -hmm. didn't have any long conversations. But every time he felt like he was respected and that he was valued, a valued member of that show and of that team and felt like that Fred really thought he was a really good human being. And even that little bit was enough to eventually make them very close friends sure. and him saying, I can't even believe that I ended up <laughs> saying yes. And then we had this beautiful friendship for how many years after. Now, can you imagine if we just had people on social media Ooh. say in their heads before they type any words, or I should say keyboard, I'm interested in that person's best good. Mm. I want what they really need and for, for them, maybe very different from what I have. And so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lambast them. I'm not gonna put them down. I'm gonna try to lift them up because I want them to succeed. I want them to be filled with God's spirit in their lives, kind of thing. I changed a little of the conversation. 
Well, and even to think about sometimes what you're writing and then put yourself on the other side of those comments and like, sure. if I was reading the first <laughs> however many comments in that stream and then I read this, would that somehow uplift me? Or is it going to be kind of even or is it going to pull me down? What's it going to be? I think maybe the hardest group to probably hear this sermon uh, or read these texts from Jesus are people who have had what they would call enemies who have done them harm, uh, yeah. physically abusive, sexually abusive. There's some bad thing that's happened. And the text, again, is not saying you have, must have warm, fuzzy feelings toward these people. Right. But we can forgive them and we can let it go. We can build parameters that, that make sure that we're protected from them striking out again. We don't want to be stupid lovers. <laughs> yeah, of course. But we can wish their best good. We can say we want God to have his will and his way in their lives. So it's like, who would we want to not come to repentance? Right. Um, and so we can be for them in that sense and not against them as well. Well, it's almost like this walks hand in hand with forgiveness. Mm, very where much. A long, long time ago, interviewed Dick Dirksen about his book, Forgive to Live. Oh, Dick Tibbetts. Uh, Dick Tibbetts. Yeah. What did I say? Dick Dirksen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dick Tibbetts. I just found it interesting that he said, listen, this doesn't mean that because you forgive somebody, right. he's like, it's for you. And I'm like, yeah, well, everyone's heard that. Well, it makes you feel better. <laughs> but why does it make me feel better? And he's like, because you're forgiving them and you're taking the weight off of yourself. And even if you forgive them, it doesn't mean you're inviting them over to your house for dinner. Right. It doesn't mean you're going out and doing things together as friends or as a couple or as right. a group. You can avoid that person at that point, but you still have to give that forgiveness to take it off of you. And here, even if you're just extending that olive branch, maybe – and even just saying, I forgive you, yeah. that might be enough to even be enough of a light to say <laughs> – they're like, wow, I can't believe they forgive me, forgave me after how you know bad I was. <laughs> Well, I talked about in the sermon, absorbing evil. Yeah. And so that must, it ends with us. I think that's really critical that we be the, um, we don't, we don't hit back. To uh, shut it off. Retaliation will not solve this. Yeah. Uh, well, it will not lessen the meanness in the room. <laughs> and that's hard to just walk away. <clears throat> oh, yes. We have a propensity to need that last word, so to speak. And I, <laughs> I don't know if necessarily, but I think that leads into what you said about nowhere does the law the law of Moses, the prophets, the books of history or prophecy. Nowhere does scripture teach or even imply that we are to love our neighbor and hate our enemies. And, <laughs> you know, I, that kind of struck me as really? Uh, are you sure? I mean, that's got it. Where did we get this? Because you went further into that saying that in Jesus' time, they defined that neighbor as basically anyone who wasn't an outsider. We tend to take scripture. And we, we read things into it for one thing, but we always tended to look at Scripture to support our position. Sure. So if I read a Scripture, I don't necessarily care what it says exactly in my, week, <laughs> in my weakest moment. Yeah. I want it to bolster my argument. And that's why you had sermons during the middle of the, the Civil War in the United States. Uh, there were sermons on the side of the North and the South preached on the same Sunday in pulpits of a church, <laughs> one very much saying... Slavery is justifiable, and we ought to continue to have slavery and justifying it from Scripture. And another sermon saying, how can anybody who calls himself a Christian you know, even think about slavery? It's, it's an abomination to God. And these are sermons both supported by Scripture, supposedly, both preached on the same Sunday, because we look for Scripture to coax us and feed our bias. And so the racism and the prejudice and the anti-foreigner mindset of the Jewish people in Christ's day had chosen to take Scripture 
and twist the interpretation so it could justify the racism. <laughs> well, and I was looking for something that maybe we could relate to. Sure. And last week we talked briefly about the Good Samaritan in that mm-hmm. message. And to me, that story's always had a feel-good component to it. Yeah, the man gets robbed, he's beaten, <laughs> he's left to bleed or worse along <laughs> the road. And while people that should have stopped to help did not, the hero of the story comes along and saves the day, so we feel good about it. But we oftentimes leave it there and just kind of gloss it over. And of course, that leaves out the part about the victim and hero become, you know, actually being mortal enemies. But I always feel like we take away that story, the moral of do good unto others. You see someone in need, you know, go do that. But we forget like, oh, wait a minute. That might be my enemy. I might actually have to help them. Right. And when you put that part in – it starts to be uncomfortable and you might be chastised, criticized in your circle of influence for doing something like this, but it was what Jesus called us to do. So we can't miss what we perceive to be uh, this ugly side of this calling because without understanding it and how it might impact us, or maybe even our families right. or our friends, how can we possibly be the Samaritan on a regular basis? How can we possibly be that good person if we don't realize like, wow, this is going to hurt sometimes? Right. And it, just the loss of pride is going to hurt. But to recognize, <laughs> well, that's true. <clears throat> to recognize that the two people on the opposite side of any issue, theological, political, sociological, ethnic, national, you just you name it, two people on the opposite sides of, a, of an issue don't have to give up their sides to love each other. Okay. So let's just use U.S. Congress. As a, you, know, you can be on opposite sides of the aisle. And there was a time, at least in our culture, in our country, where people on the opposite side of the aisle that would argue just vehemently on the floor would then go out to lunch together. Sure, yeah. You know, and sit and talk about it or go golfing together. And that's the civility we need. That's the call of love. I love you. You love me. I want your best. You want my best. And we don't see the path to those things the same. And we can argue about the path. But we both want the same end. We want we want right. to arrive at the same goal, and that having having that mindset makes it easier to love an enemy. I believe because you're not you're not saying I'm caving to you philosophically or whatever your your argument is. I'm saying I care about you. I want yeah. the best for you, and I still think you're dead wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, you quoted Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who well, there's somebody that understands, right? <laughs> who facing like you said the very destruction of his life by his enemies called this passage from the Sermon on the Mount, the Supreme Command. Through the medium of prayer, we go to our enemy, stand by his side, and plead for him to God. We wish them nothing but good. So does that put this incredibly difficult practice that most of us probably aren't really good at and putting it into action, is it just, is it as simple as prayer? I, it may be. Uh, in fact, I, I almost I don't have time to do it all of the sermon. Um, but to, to really, the, one of the challenges I thought would be great, and I think I put it in the takeaways, was you know pick somebody that you would put in the enemy category in your mind, yeah, and just start praying for them. Ooh, there you go, and see how that transforms you on that journey. Yeah, um, it's not going to hurt you to do that. <laughs> yeah, no, of course not. Well, and it just, I think it's a good place to start, if nothing else. If your prayer life is probably good and on track and regular, and that's probably a good place to start with transforming ourselves into this person that we want to be in this loving our enemy. One of our FHC takeaways from this past week asked, what is your biggest personal hurdle in thinking about loving enemies? Oh, And, you know, I've thought about this and personally, and maybe probably more than we realize, 
are living in seclusion, be it at home, at work, even at church, mm. among our people, our groups, whether they're small and tight-knit or a little bit larger, it's hard to love someone that you don't know right. or even realize exists sometimes until they've done you wrong. <laughs> I think it's just that part where we're not really connected to them or we avoid them to such an extent that I don't have to deal with you. Right. And so become, then become a non-person. Yeah. So then how do I – I'm not doing them wrong. I'm not – I'm not right. talking ill of them. I'm just totally ignoring them. And I think that also misses the point when we – that might be the biggest hurdle to just saying like, hey, let's just start praying for them. At yeah. least that puts a connection <laughs> to it. So would be curious to hear what has been your biggest hurdle. You can leave a voicemail, send a text, all those things in the FHC mobile app, or you can send us an email, podcast at hospitalchurch.org. Well, Randy, I, w- I want to just say that part of our not wanting to love our enemies is not being in touch with who we are. Oh, boy. Because, <laughs> yeah, because, because it was while we were enemies with God that he chose to save us. So we've had this great thing done to us and from an enemy position. <laughs> and so it, I think it really should you know, be a motivation to us. It's like, okay, wait a second. If God can love me while I'm an enemy and redeem me, reconcile everything unto himself, maybe I can at least be you know, gracious to yeah. an enemy, love yeah. them. Well, I've often thought that Andy could see through the back of my laptop screen. And so our final thoughts were from his message where he said, This is not natural to our fallen human nature, but is part of Christ in you, the hope of glory. God reconciles us while we were enemies. There you go. So, you know, I thought that was a good place to end too. So there we have it. But, you know, maybe that, like Andy said, that realization that God reconciled us to himself by giving up the most precious thing in all the universe, his son Jesus, while we were his enemies, will remind us every day that we have much less to lose and much more to gain being in a glimpse of Christ in a world that so desperately needs it. That's for sure. As we already mentioned, upcoming, we have the the super teens yeah. that will be joining us right. next week for episode 100. We're almost wow. in two That'll full seasons. That'll be fun seasons. to have. We, have. we have young people coming to join us for the 100th. For the century. <laughs> and so that's it. That'll do it for this week. Thank you, as always, to Andy and Tom. And join us again next Wednesday. You don't want to miss it for episode 100. Thanks for listening and have a great week.